was the night before Christmas and all through the house. Heard a creature stirring and I hope that's a mouse. Good stories I've chosen, selected with care. In hopes that they'll give you all a good scare. And like children we lay all snug in our bed. While we listen to stories of demons and dread. Welcome all, Merry Christmas, and Happy Holidays to each and every one. I'm Derek Hayes, and I will be your ghost of Christmas past, present, and future here this evening. And I've assembled something a little special to celebrate the holiday season. An episode that's exclusively holiday-themed. Now, I pulled some of your holiday submissions or winter-related calls as a little gift to you all. And as a bonus gift, I can tell you this episode is definitely going to run long. So I hope you're bundled up. I hope you're snuggled next to the fire. And I hope you enjoy this year's Monsters Among Us holiday special. And to kick us off, we begin with Mike from Parts Unknown. Hey Derek, this is Mike from New York. So I'm calling you with a holiday story or perhaps a holiday adjacent one. This isn't like holiday themed exactly, but it took place basically uh, in the lead up to Christmas 2016. So my sister and I would take a flight down from New York to Florida to visit our parents who had retired down there. And as part of that trip to kind of like mix things up, I want to say maybe in like 2014, we started this, what became a yearly tradition to take an excursion as a family to Key West. And so it was our time in Key West 2016, where I had my experience that I'll describe to you. So there's a little bit of context that I want to give. Firstly, is that this is a family trip to Key West. So Key West has a lot of reputations, one of them being kind of like a party place. But that is not the kind of thing that we were doing then. This is like very much a family trip, a lot of like good food, sightseeing, you know, enjoying some nature, that kind of thing. Like this is this is the preamble uh, as a person telling a weird experience story where I say I was completely sober. So, you know, that's out of the way. Now, the next piece is that in 2016, I was like at the height of my career practicing a martial art called kendo. It's basically Japanese fencing, like Japanese sword fighting. And if you're unfamiliar, the only reason I mention it really is because I had been doing it for several years at that point and was basically pretty invested in it, was uh, training and sparring people, I don't know, easily four or five times a week. It was a big part of my life back then. and. If you look this up, if you're not familiar with it or, you know, a listener looks this up and is not familiar, basically the thing that I need you to understand is that I was very accustomed to getting tackled, right? Like if you watch a video of it, you'll see very quickly there's just like people howling and just charging each other. Uh, I'm trying not to like loudly clap my hands as I describe this because that's kind of what happens. So All of this is to say is that I'm very used to getting the full brunt of someone's weight thrown at me, 
I'm also very used to doing it to other people. And in between that as well is like kind of having a, uh, a developed sense of when someone is truly charging you with like that threatening kind of intent to hurt you, you know, to strike you, or if they're kind of just playing around, right? Because sometimes you might do that to try to get someone to commit to an act or something and then, you know, catch them off guard, blah, 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 sword fighting. So that's that. And then finally is just like, I'm a non-visual person entirely. Like I cannot mentally visualize anything. I'm also currently in school for data science. I, I have worked as an analyst for years. I am a very analytically minded person. I come to this experience very much like without a real spiritual or religious background. I am, I think, very well read in the occult, which maybe, I don't know. This is all just a little bit of context, but I'll I'll just get started with the story. So I looked this up on Google just to be able to tell you where it happened, but it was the Key West Museum of Art and History at the Custom House. If anyone looks that up, they'll find it. So we ended up at the Custom House during one of these excursions, basically, you know, just wanting to sightsee, just check out the museum. And so as happens during museum trips, you know, everyone has like a different pace that they take in a museum, different interests. So the four of us, we just ended up in different spots and kind of doing our own thing. So I specifically ended up on one of the upper floors. I cannot at this point remember what floor it was, you know, second or third or what. I honestly don't remember. But the important piece is just it was above ground. I had to go upstairs. And essentially, there was an exhibition that was about the old railway that used to connect the mainland to Key West and, you know, would course through the Keys. If you take the highway out, then, you know, you sometimes see the, the railway on the, the edge in the water. Very cool. But anyway, so it was an exhibit about that. And I think, like, the railroad tycoon involved was, like, Flagler or something like that. Unimportant, but it's a thing I remember. So the exhibit was basically like a longish hallway and like a railroad set up on the ground. And you kind of just like go through this like history of the train. And basically, unlike other exhibitions, you don't go in, walk through it and then come out on the other end, right? Like that's kind of a typical way of setting it up. You kind of go to the end and then you have to come back. So you kind of very much do like a railroad circuit. So I'd gotten to the end and there's basically a little area where you can sit down and watch a documentary and there's these like purple curtains you could like, I guess, close, like, I don't know, it's like a little theater setup. I'm not interested in that. It is like noon, 1 p.m. I am hungry and, you know, <laughs> just looking for my meal. And so I turn around to go find my family and rally them for lunch. And that's when my experience starts. That's when I see it, I guess, is the way to say it. And it is this uh, roughly like human sized form. It doesn't have like a definite shape. It is constantly kind of like shifting in shape. The way I always describe it when I tell this story is that it's kind of like an amoeba, right? There's like an outline, but there isn't really like a telling of like what the hell it is, right? Like there's just this shape and it is a non-definite shape and it's opaque. It's not like it's see-through or anything. The color is unclear. Frankly, it's a color I have never seen before and I have never seen since. So I can't really like describe it to you as much as I can maybe tell you that it sort of like shifts across different hues and averages out to something that kind of looked or felt gray. So I'm, I'm watching this thing, right, and kind of evaluating it. I've never seen something like this before. So, you know, my initial reaction is to 
stand still and just watch it right it's like it's kind of like i don't know it doesn't it doesn't it's not scary it's just strange and it you know i'm in the museum it's like the middle of the day it's sunny outside there are some windows but they're kind of like opaque so it's not like i don't know there's like something that that's coming through the window or something like that they're like shut yeah you know it's a museum the floors are nondescript the walls are white and the most kind of out of place thing are these purple curtains behind me and they're behind me not in front of me <laughs> so uh you know there's like a video playing in the background and there's this thing in front of me and it's just kind of like morphing and and kind of just floating in place and i really can't stress enough that it does not cease moving there's just constantly in flux you know again it's like the size of like a i don't know like a person a small person a child maybe now that i say that i, I would say that it was like the size of my torso in any case, I, as I'm evaluating it, right, and kind of like, what am I looking at? It stops. Like, it just freezes. And this freezing only lasts for an instant because immediately what it then does is just come barreling at me. And this is where my whole little tangent about Kendo comes into play is that I'm very accustomed to being tackled. And again, accustomed to feeling when that tackle is like a threat or when it's not. Number one, there felt like there was no weight behind that charge. And it also felt like non-threatening. If anything, I kind of felt like, I don't know, sort of a curiosity, like, I don't know, like if a dog kind of like hurries over and just kind of like pokes their nose, you know, in like your face and sniffs you or something like that. There was basically like a moment of recognition between me and it, like it recognized me as I recognized it, and then it came at me. And as it would have collided with me, right? So, like, this is the moment where if it had a face or if it had eyes, we're, like, eye to eye, literally, like, just about to collide. It's just gone. And the the moment's over. So, you know, I look around, and obviously there's, like, nothing around to, like, tell me, oh, you know, it was, you know, some really weird pigeon <laughs> or something that came in. Nothing like that. So I go find my family and, you know, we have the rest of a very otherwise normal day. And I did not tell anyone this story for like three years. And then from there would like very choosily tell people because not everyone, you know, is quite open to hearing this sort of thing without calling you a maniac. So all of this is to say, so like, what was that? I don't know. You know, kind of the way I feel about it is that I had the experience that is, for other people, a ghost. You know, maybe I had the Jacques Vallée-style psychedelic experience of, you know, witnessing some manifestation of my psyche or something. And, like, you know, I lack a visual capacity, so for me it was like this weird blob. For other people, maybe it would have been a ghost. Maybe it would have been an alien. I have no idea. But... Anyway, thanks, Derek. This is a great show, and uh, you know it's something I look forward to every time it releases. So take care. Bye. Thank you, Mike. Now, I have to admit, Key West is probably the last place on my mind during the holidays. Although it's my understanding that it's typically hopping down there this time of year. But it is one of the first places I think of when I think of a ghostly encounter in a museum. Key West is full of museums. They have well over a dozen currently operating. And they have plenty of ghosts as well. 
At least half of those museums publicly admit to strange activity within their walls. Hell, the entire town of Key West seems to be crawling with paranormal activity. Upon my count, I found six separate outfits running ghost tours within the city limits, and half a dozen more that aren't ghost-themed but still mention the ghosts of the island city. And don't forget, one of those purportedly haunted museums just happens to be the home of the infamous Robert the Doll. But how could a place so beautiful be so spooky? Well, with the war, the hurricanes, the pirating, and the long history of the islands, it's certainly no wonder that there's activity there. But according to History Channel's haunted history, the city's namesake may just be the origin of many of these ghostly tales. Legends say that Key West's eerie heritage reaches back more than five centuries, to the age when the Colusa Indians lived on Florida's southwestern shores. Invading tribes from the north reportedly massacred the Colusa, men, women, and children, then left the bodies to rot on the beach. The Spaniards came here during the 16th century, and when they got here, they found the bones from the massacre all over the island. What they did is they named the island Cayo Hueso, which is Spanish for Island of Bones. We eventually corrupted it where we turned Cayo into Key and Hueso into West. So Key West literally is the Island of Bones. Sometimes history can be tragic. Now it'll certainly be hard not to think about that if I ever find myself in Key West sipping a rum runner. Always remember what's below your feet. And thanks again, Mike, for sharing your entry. Now, if you have a story that's perfect for the show, a true story, call the hotline at 1-888-608-NIGHT. That's 1-888-608-6444. Now, let's see what I can do to swing this thing back in the holiday direction. Beginning with a call from Ismo in Texas. Hey Derek, it's Ismo from Houston, Texas. I was at my grandma's house and this was around Christmas time, I believe. I don't remember how old I was, but I couldn't have been older than 12, but definitely not as young as like 8 or anything like that. Like I was already a pretty old kid, I guess you could say. But anyways, I was sleeping and I had woken up to go use the restroom, correct? And I came back and I sat on the couch and my grandma kind of has like a pretty old house, I guess you could say, and her attic has always creeped me out, right? So I lay back down on the couch, I'm about to fall back asleep, and as I'm looking up, I see a little girl, and she's looking down on me, and I didn't feel any, like, sense of dread or nothing like that. In fact, I didn't even get scared. I just kind of, like, rubbed my eyes and just, uh, I mean, she was still there, and uh, I didn't really think anything of it because my family is super into ghosts and stuff like that, so... They've always told me to just kind of not pay attention and it'll go away. So that's what I did. I just uh, fell back asleep. A few weeks later, I was talking to my cousin because she lives there. And she was telling me that she's seen the same little girl and that the mailman had actually came. And he said that him and his daughter used to live there before. And I, I didn't hear the story, by the way. She She's the one who talked to the mailman. But she was telling me that the mailman and his daughter lived there and that his daughter and her friend were playing on the stairs one day and that... 
she fell, his daughter fell, and she ended up, uh, I, I can't remember exactly what she said, but I know that his daughter died, unfortunately. And uh, I don't know, the way that she was positioned, there's a window which hits in that certain angle, and it can probably like create some weird like lighting. And that definitely could have been it, but I've slept there multiple times and I've never seen anything like that. The attic definitely gives a creepy vibe, but that's it. So I don't know, it's just super strange, but that's not the only thing either with my family. We're kind of, I guess, prone to supernatural stuff, but maybe it's because we believe in it. So this was whenever I was a lot younger, actually. So I don't know if the memory is skewed or whatnot, because I've always been scared of my aunt's house, but I was sleeping at her house one night and I got up to use the restroom and nobody else in the house was awake. I was the only one awake. I was just watching TV. And um, there was a there was a man just like in the doorway. I had gotten up to use the restroom and there was just a tall man just sitting in the doorway and I freaked out. Like I, this was the first time where I've ever seen something and I felt like a sense of like just complete dread. And I talked to my aunt about it the next day because he kind of just like, like dissipated. And she said that her husband and her were sleeping one night when her husband had woken up and it was just three just huge burn marks, like scratching almost on his chest. And it was super strange, but my, my aunt and all of my little cousins all claimed that there's something in the house. I mean, they've heard babies crying and just the whole thing. It's, it's pretty wild. I just love what you're doing with the podcast and I hope I can hear this on it one day. So have a nice day, man. Take it easy. Bye-bye. Thank you, Ismail. It certainly sounds like your family has some sort of connection, some sort of ability. Because it's not all that often that someone has an experience with a full-bodied apparition. And it's even more rare for it to happen twice. But we'll be here, Ismail, if it happens to happen a third time. We'll certainly want to hear about it. And thanks again for sharing that creepy entry. Now next up, we make our way south to Texas, where repeat offender Deanna has a story for us. Hey Derek, it's Deanna. I've called a few times. I'm calling from Texas, but this call is from Montana. I just recently became a Patreon supporter. Gotta love me some Monsters Among Us. Anyhow, I'm calling about, I guess you'd call it a a shadow man, maybe? Some sort of entity? I don't know. This was probably 10 or 11 years ago. It was winter time, probably like November or December. I remember I had Christmas decorations up, or I was getting ready to put Christmas decorations up. There was snow outside, so it was definitely cold. Shortly after my first husband and I got married, we had bought a mobile home, and that was our starter home. You know, we had a baby on the way and a toddler so we bought us you know an older style mobile home we lived there for a while and never really had any kind of issues or anything there's still an odd presence in the home i'm not really supernaturally inclined but i am very superstitious so i mean you know i don't i don't think that i've had a lot of sliding but like you said in a couple of episodes you know you never really realize that you have until somebody mentions something similar and it jogs your memory. There was a girl that I had gone to school with and she'd come over to visit 
I think I was 19, maybe almost 20 at the time. So this was, this was about 10 years ago. She'd come over to visit and we were kind of talking about how my kids were having trouble sleeping and how I just felt an odd presence in my house. And she goes, I don't want to scare you, but there's a man in your house. <laughs> well, that definitely scared me, made me a little bit uncomfortable. And I go, excuse me? And she goes, I can feel things, you know, I can see things. And usually it's just spirits. I can get a really good feel for him. She's like, but there's a man here in your house. She's like, he doesn't seem ominous or anything. She's like, typically the way that I see spirits is they're either a light color or a dark color. Light meaning they're good or dark meaning they're not so good. And obviously the color in between is neutral. She said he's not really either. So he's, he's kind of neutral, but he does just, he just kind of stands there and watches. I mean, it freaked me out a little bit. You know, I've got two small children in the home and I'm kind of like, okay, uh, that's creepy. So she kind of gave a description that it was a man, you know, in his mid to late 40s. She couldn't get a very good description about his race or uh, his hair color or eye color or anything. She said he was just definitely a man, probably a white man. And he just kind of creepishly stood in the corner. He wore a suit. I remember that. She didn't describe what era the suit was from, but he did wear a suit. I eventually attempted to cleanse my home by the use of some herbs around window ledges and around corners, and, you know, asking the spirit to leave or, you know, the entity, whatever it may be. And then shortly thereafter, I ended up moving out of the home. So I have no idea if it's still there, what it was or why it was there, but I will tell you that I just had a very, very uncomfortable feeling. I mean, especially, you know, near Christmas time, I'm standing there putting up decorations and I'm being stared at by a thing, and I don't even know it, but I can feel it. All right, Derek, I hope you have a great day, and I hope you have a good weekend. Take care. Bye. Thank you, Deanna. Now, let me just say up front, this is not an accusation at all but rather a comical, logical conclusion to this entry. If I ever wanted to mess with someone, I too would go to their home, spend some time behaving normally, then suddenly shift my attention to the quote-unquote thing dwelling in the home. I'd drop out some vague details, the creepier the better. Then I'd simply go home. The seed has been planted, the psychological torture could then continue while I'm at home with my feet up. If I were to do something like that, that is. So again, I'm not claiming that she was trying to play a prank or anything like that. I'm just pointing out the comical nature of the situation. And thanks again, Deanna, for sharing the call. And especially thank you for supporting us over at Patreon. And that's actually where we get a majority of our financial support. So if you're bored this holiday season, visit patreon.com forward slash Monsters Among Us podcast and join any level. You'll get instant access to much more Monsters Among Us. And by doing so, you help us keep the show going for many years to come. Now next up is a call from a mystery submitter from somewhere in the UK. 
Hi Derek, Merry Christmas. Uh, With the festive season coming up, I just wanted to share with you what I think is quite a nice family story. So growing up, living with my parents, every year my dad and I would make a tradition on the first Saturday of December, getting all the Christmas decorations down out of the attic and decorating the house with them. So one year when I was maybe 11 or 12, we went up into the loft and we got all the boxes down and the boxes are kind of covered in a fine layer of what dad calls road dust because the attic is quite drafty and dust does come in from outside. So we had set up the artificial Christmas tree and put it in the window and laid out all the branches and my dad said before we actually open the rest of the boxes you should probably go and wash your hands. Um, So I did that. I was walking up the stairs on my way to the bathroom. I think mum was cooking dinner in the kitchen probably or something. And as I walked up the stairs, I saw as clear as day, as if she was a real person, a lady walk out of one of the bedrooms on the left, across the landing and into one of the bedrooms on the right. She was probably in her 60s, dressed top to bottom in black. I think she had like quite big skirts, long sleeves and her hair scraped back in a bun. I didn't think anything of it at all. It could have been my brother or the cat or one of my parents. Just didn't occur to me at all that she wasn't supposed to be there. So I washed my hands and I came down the stairs and that was when it kind of hit me that that lady was not supposed to be there. So I talked to my mum. I told her what I had seen and mum is like me. She's quite into paranormal things and ghosts and, and what have you. My dad is absolutely absolute polar opposite you know sort of ghosts aren't real paranormal things don't exist anyway so mum and I thought I wonder if she was maybe associated with the house in some way which is a 1920s red brick traditional terraced house anyway some years later my grandmother who was a German lady she had come over as a child as a refugee during the second world war with some of her sisters And so at this particular occasion, the family were all around and it was quite a big deal because one of my grandmother's sisters who was living back in Germany had sent her a biscuit tin that was full of family photos. As I say, to her, it was a really big deal. My mum and some of her siblings were there, my brother and I, and grandma would take these photos out of the tin one by one and she would explain, you know, this was taken outside my parents' shop this is a picture of my uncle and my cousin. She was talking us through basically the whole family. So one picture that came around was handed to me and I looked at the picture. It was a a lady um, with her hair tied back and and I realised that's the lady that I saw in mum's house. And I kind of, I passed it to my uncle Pete who was sat to my left and and Pete just went grey. So um, mum and I said, are you all right? What, you know, what's, what's the matter? And he said, I've seen this lady before. Mum said, well, what do you mean? And he said that basically he had been away with the army um, during the Gulf War and he had come back from the Gulf War and come out of the army. So during that time, because he was looking for a house to buy, he'd been living in, in Germany with the army for years and yeah so when he came back from the Gulf War he had stayed as a house guest with my parents for maybe three or four months probably and he said that during that time he remembers that it was Christmas because initially he thought it was a trick of the light but he had seen through the window between my parents dining room and kitchen 
He'd looked through that window into the kitchen and seen the same lady standing in the kitchen and he'd done a double take and he thought maybe it was something reflecting off one of Dad's millions of ceiling decorations. But no, there she was standing in the kitchen, the lady in the photograph. And so I had explained that I had seen her before too and I told Mum about it at the time when it happened. And then my brother had said that he had seen her once before too so he had come home from a new year's party um, and he'd had a few drinks but wasn't drunk and he'd gone up the stairs opened his bedroom door and as he went to turn the landing light off he had seen her in the foot of the stairwell so he'd flicked the light back on thinking you know what did I just see there nothing there so um, because it was a new year's party that had always stayed with him So it seems that three different members of my family have seen my great-grandmother at Christmas time over the years. Interestingly, none of us have ever seen her probably in the last 10 years. It's a little bit odd. I think it's quite nice. Whether it was a comfort to my grandma or not to hear that, I don't know. But yeah, she's looking after my grandma now because she's no longer with us. But it's Christmas time, a festive story and... um, I hope you liked it. Merry Christmas, Derek. Any Merry Christmas to you as well, caller. Thank you for the oddly heartwarming entry. You know, it's too bad you didn't get your grandmother's sentiment on the sightings of what I assume was her mother. I'd be curious to know how her personal connection affected her belief of the family legend. And if she ever comes back around and you guys see her again, we certainly want to hear about it. So thank you again, caller, for taking the time to preserve the story and share it with us. Tonight's episode is brought to you by Italic. Italic isn't an everything store. They're your everything store. Their marketplace connects you with the manufacturers behind the world's biggest brands and most in-demand products. And delivers them straight to your door for up to 63% less. Italic has a curated selection of over 500 products, including everything from cookware and home decor to clothing and travel items. There is something there for literally everyone. Their team of in-house product experts vet every product to ensure it's of the highest quality. They also extensively vet their manufacturers on the ground visiting factories and inspecting materials. Now, personally, I love their selection of outdoor and travel products, and it all costs less than what it normally would from a regular brand. Now, by taking the brand and retail markups out of the equation, Italic is able to deliver the lowest prices possible. So if you have some leftover holiday spending money burning a hole in your pocket, Head to italic.com to get $10 off your first order of $50 or more using coupon code MONSTERSAMONGUS. Again, that's code MONSTERSAMONGUS at italic, I-T-A-L-I-C dot com for $10 off your first order. Now, as always, supporting our sponsor supports the show. So thank you for listening. And now back to the spooky stuff. Now moving on in this journey through a winter wonderland, we venture to New Jersey. Taylor, welcome back to the program. 
Hi, Derek. This is Taylor from New Jersey again. You might remember me from the Jersey Devil call a couple seasons back. And I just want you to know that I did take your advice on trying to track down that teacher. But unfortunately, she had a very generic last name and has since moved on from the school. So I'm still working on that, but I'll get back to you guys with details about that when I have it. In the meantime, though, I wanted to share some of my other creepy stories and experiences that I've had. And I wanted to start off on a positive note this time. So this is the story about my uncle, Tom. So Tom was a gay man, and unfortunately he contracted AIDS when I was about seven years old. He was very close with my mom, so she would routinely drive over to his place and check on him as his condition worsened. I don't know why he refused to go to a hospital, but he refused to go to a hospital and get help. One day while she was visiting, he asked her to help him up and walk him over to the bathroom. They walked arm in arm across the house, but about halfway there, he got a really strange look in his eyes and suddenly collapsed. My mom knew he was dead before he even hit the floor. Obviously, the event was very hard for my mom to process. Her favorite in-law had literally died in her arms, and to top it all off, Tom was a gay man in a time when queerness was not socially acceptable. To be clear, my family is super chill and accepting of him, my sister, and I for all being gay, but at the time, my mom couldn't help but worry if he had founded the happiness he deserved in the afterlife, or if all the homophobic propaganda was right. Every night, she would pray that Tom was in a happy place and that he got the peace he deserves. Little did she know, her prayers would be answered on Christmas Eve night. My cousins on my mom's side always come up from Virginia and stay with us for the holidays, so the house was absolutely full. My parents were in their room, my aunt and uncle were in the guest bedroom, my cousins were in my sister's room, and my sister was in my room with me. My mom said her nightly prayers about Uncle Tom and fell asleep as usual. However, that night she had a dream that would change her life forever. Uncle Tom was standing in a big empty room wearing the clothes he was wearing when he had died. My mom was happy to see him, but she immediately started asking if he was okay and about how worried she was for him. He held a hand up to stop her and began telling her about how he was truly at peace and in a better place. I guess she didn't look convinced because he ended up grabbing her hands and saying, if I show you what it feels like, will you stop worrying? She nodded and his hands started to glow in hers. She said that the biggest feeling of absolute euphoria came over her. Ultimate peace, ultimate happiness, the whole thing. It was everything you could ever dream of heaven being and more. It only lasted for a few seconds until the light faded from his hands and he asked, do you believe me now? My mom nodded with tears streaming down her face and drifted off back to sleep. Meanwhile, and totally oblivious to what my mom had just experienced, I woke up early on Christmas morning as a seven-year-old kid. My room was shaped like a giant rectangle, with the door next to a bookshelf on one wall and two twin beds pressed against the far wall in an L shape. I woke up and immediately noticed a figure standing in front of the bookshelf. It looked like a silhouette of a person, except it had almost no defining features. It had a very large rounded head that shifted into a very tiny neck and then expanded back out into just a long, thin torso that extended all the way to the floor. To make it weirder, the silhouette pulsated and looked like those water chemical puddles and parking lots, you know, with all the different rainbow colors, moving around and pulsating within the shape. It wasn't giving off any light, but the colors moving within the shape were undeniable, and that helped me define the shape of it within my room. I looked over at my sister to see if she saw it too, but she was still asleep. I debated waking her up, but something stopped me. 
I wasn't frightened. I was just a little taken aback by whatever I was seeing. I stared at it like a deer caught in headlights, and even though it had no true features, I know it was staring back at me. This went on for what felt like forever, but in reality it was probably only like five minutes until I finally broke and decided I needed my sister to see this too. I tried to gently wake her up and ask her to look at the figure I saw, and I swear it rotated slightly to stare at her instead of me now. She was barely awake though, so by the time she rubbed her eyes and grasped what I was saying, the figure had disappeared. I didn't clarify what I saw because now we were both two kids awake on Christmas morning and we had bigger fish to fry. I kept what I saw to myself for years until my mom finally told me about her Uncle Tom dream. When she said that it happened on Christmas Eve, I stopped her and asked her what year it had happened on. Sure enough, it was the same year that I saw the rainbow shadow staring at me and my sister in my room. We like to think that Uncle Tom came back to give my mom peace and decided to stop by my room on the way out to watch his only two nieces wake up on Christmas morning. It sounds cheesy and cliche, but I can't help but wonder if the rainbow colors surrounding him were indicative of a sexual orientation. I know what I saw, and I didn't know he was my gay uncle when I saw it. I also was too young to even know that rainbows were associated with that sort of thing. It was just a really weird, odd experience, and the two in tandem happening on the same exact day at the same time just makes it that much more undeniable. And the fact that I wasn't scared. I've seen a decent amount of ghosts in the past, and they all creeped me out. And this was the only one that I've seen where I almost felt at peace, even though I knew it was staring at me and I was staring at it. In any case, I will probably call back with more stories in the future, but thank you so much for what you do, and have a good day. Thank you, Taylor. There's a lot of touching entries in this episode. Don't worry, I have some really spooky stuff for the end of the show. But the holidays are about good vibes as well, so the yin and the yang, I suppose. And to give context to Taylor's mention of the Jersey Devil Call, tune in to Season 8, Episode 16 to hear that entry. Now, as for Taylor's story, the description she gave of the entity, did that sound familiar to anyone else? If we hearken back to Mike's call, the Key West Museum call that opened the show, he too described the Christmas time entity he saw in near exact terms. Undulating or churning color changing liquid or smoke inside a vague human shape. Now despite that shared detail and the fact that both experiences occurred on or around Christmas, I don't really see any other connections but I'll be sure to keep my ears open going forward. And as for the dream that Taylor's mother had, having gone through a similar experience, I can say that dreams like that, visions, whatever you want to call them, they go a long way to move life forward for the surviving. So thank you again, Taylor, for taking the time to share that story. Now, our next holiday-themed entry comes to us from the state of Maryland. Lee, take it away. Hi, Derek. My name is Lee, and I'm calling from Montgomery County, Maryland, positioned between where the goat man prowls and the snallygaster roams. I'm a new listener to Monsters Among Us and was catching up on past episodes recently. After listening to Season 10, Episode 8, I was inspired by a caller from Oregon 
who told the story about a ghost of a little girl in a restaurant whose death involved a staircase, which is a link to the story I'm about to tell. The setting is a cold winter day last December, an hour before sunset. My girlfriend, her daughter, and I had driven up county for a hike and discovered the park was closed. We quickly shifted gears and decided to go explore a reportedly haunted house called the Winterbourne Mansion. Winterbourne is an abandoned Victorian house tucked away in an overgrown wooded area overlooking a lake. We had heard that the decrepit mansion was worth a look, although it is on private property. In order to be somewhat clandestine, we parked in the little town nearby and made our way through the woods, hugging the water's edge to keep a low profile. When we reached the house, it looked ominous in the fading sunlight. As we walked into the yard, my girlfriend looked up and saw a figure standing in a second-story window leering out. She motioned for me to look, and as I lifted my eyes, I saw the figure turn and move to the right and out of view. My girlfriend's daughter didn't see the figure, as it had already disappeared by the time she looked up. This put us on guard, since it was now apparent we wouldn't be exploring the house alone. After entering the house, we gathered in the foyer at the foot of a grand staircase to get our bearings. All of a sudden, we heard two voices above us exchange some inaudible dialogue, and then there was silence. I quietly suggested that we explore another part of the mansion by motioning towards a hallway where I could see another staircase towards the end. We made a stealthy ascent to the second floor up what must have been a servant's staircase just to discover no one else was in the house. The puzzling thing was that we never heard anyone descend the main staircase or walk across the floors. From the moment we heard the voices above us when in the foyer to the time it took us to go through every room on the second floor, we neither heard nor saw any other people. After looking around the second floor, we proceeded to explore the attic space, and still there were no signs of any other souls. After we arrived home that night, we decided to do a little research on the house and discovered that the reason the house is thought to be haunted is that a couple of children had died there. One of them was a little girl who was killed after sliding down the long banister of the main staircase. The tragedy definitely adds to the spooky factor of this already creepy setting and ties in with that story from Oregon I mentioned earlier. However, what remains is both an unexplained and unsettling memory is how we were certain there were others in the house when we arrived who seemingly vanished without a trace. Thanks for listening, Derek. Take care. Thanks, Lee. You gotta love a successful ghost hunt. And if I'm not mistaken, it sounds like it was a fun, albeit terrifying, family event to boot. But the most shocking detail I pulled from this call is that the child died sliding down a banister. So I guess all the adults in my childhood were right. I could get hurt on that thing. So thanks again, Lee, for taking the time to share that entry. Now, folks, I have a couple more to share, but first, if Santa didn't bring you what you wanted this year, it's not too late to get it on your own head on over to monstersamonguscom forward slash shop to see our latest in Monsters Among Us merchandise. All sales support not only small businesses, but this very program as well. That's monstersamonguscom forward slash shop. 
Okay, so this next one takes place on or around the holiday season, but occurs halfway around the world. Please welcome Steve from Canada to the program. Hi, Derek. My name is Steve Thompson. I'm from Saskatoon, Saskatchewan, and I am leaving a message about a story about a white lady. Uh, so I'd never heard of a white lady before, but in 1996, I made a trip to the Philippines. It was Christmas time. I think it was the day or two days after Christmas, and uh, the Philippines is a really busy place. So even when you're driving down the highway, it doesn't matter really where you are. There's always people walking around. It's probably around 1.30, between 1.30 to 2.30 in the morning. And uh, there's, there's a highway between Manila and Degupan, where we were staying. We're driving down the highway, and I'm an English speaker. I was with a Filipino woman and uh, and a couple Canadians. And we were traveling down the highway in a van, which was rented with a private driver. I was sitting in the front seat. And we're driving down the road, and it was a highway, which was a single-lane highway with houses and businesses along the way. About three-quarters of the way through our ride, I looked to my left, and I see a lady walking down the road. It looked like she was wearing a wedding gown. Uh, I didn't really think much of it because there was lots of people around. But right around the same time I noticed this, my driver starts freaking out and speaking Spanish. And our Tagalog is the national language. It sounds a lot like Spanish. It's kind of like a conversion language. And he starts crossing himself and doing all this stuff. I didn't sort of thought of this odd, but didn't really say much. After we got out of the van, we unloaded our stuff, and I was talking to the Filipino woman that we were with in the van, and I said, hey, you know, what was going on with the driver? Uh, he was kind of freaking out at one point. He goes, oh, he saw a ghost. I'm like, oh. And uh, I was kind of put two and two together, and I said, well, you mean the woman all in white? And she goes, oh, my God, you saw her too? And I was like, what's this about? And she said that in the Philippines, they have a type of spirit that wanders the highway, and basically the souls of some type of people that have had unfortunate things happen to them on the highway. And there's two different types. There's a white lady and a black lady. Uh, black ladies are basically omens of, of death and bad omens, and a white lady can signify either good or bad. It's, it's not always defined. But that was my experience, and thanks for the podcast. Uh, talk to you later. Bye. Thanks, Steve. Another callback although this one is a bit more ambiguous than the previous. If you remember the friend Deanna had over in her story, the one that said that she can see spirits and that they appear in either light or dark form. That's pretty much the same that Steve was told after his experience in the Philippines. Now again, I'm not claiming any sort of connection here, but it's certainly synchronicity for sure. Whatever you want to call it, we can't thank Steve enough for the story that inspired the comparison. Well, folks, the sun is setting on this collection of holiday-themed entries. The snow has begun to fall, the fire on the hearth reduced to coals. The presents opened and the carols sung. So it's time for tonight's final holiday entry. And this one, too, has a connection to a previous entry. Though this one, much more obvious. Please give a warm winter's welcome to Tanya from the sunny state of Arizona. 
Hi, my name is Tanya. I'm calling from uh, Tucson, Arizona, and I'm a new listener to the show. I've been uh, kind of binging it from the front, so I know there's 12 seasons, but I've just finished uh, episode 15 and season 2, and there was a caller there that reminded me um, of a story. This, this particular caller had said that they worked in Tucson at the old Alcon Mall at this toy store, and they had mentioned some creepy happenings at their at their store. Well, when I was in high school, uh, I worked at that mall as well, at the, the J.C. Penney there. And there was a lot of weird things that happened at that store, also particularly late at night. And I always attributed it to just being because it's late at night and you're in a you know giant department store and it's creepy. And I'm a bit of a skeptic myself. But a couple of things happened. One being I used to see a little girl. I don't quite remember what the little girl looked like, but I remember always kind of seeing her out of this, just the side of my eye, kind of see her scurry across an aisle or playing near some racks or something. And this usually happened really late at night, particularly during, you know, holidays when we had you know, big messes to clean up in the store. So we were working really late. And so I always just dismissed that as just being very tired. Uh, the, the one incident that, that was particularly creepy was uh, one round Christmas time, I was fixing an area where we had all the coats. So I'm in this sea of fluffy coats, picking coats up off the floor and putting them back on hangers and making sure there isn't hangers rolling around everywhere. Uh, it's very late. There's nobody else in the store, no, no customers in the store. I'm not alone in the store, but I'm alone in my department. I was working in the women's department at the time. And um, I'm fixing like, my coats away, and I was in the corner of my eye, I see a woman standing there, and I thought, oh, why is it? And it's not someone I recognize. So I turned to tell this person, hey, we're closed. Can I help you, you know, find the exit or, you know, how, how can I help you? And, you know, I turn and she's like there for a second, but then she's gone. So I'm thinking, oh, I, I must be, I must be really tired. So I keep going about my business, cleaning up my section and I see her again. And it's a, it's a tall, thin woman in a black dress kind of older, well, I was, you know, 17 at the time, so, you know, older is relative, but she, she looked older to me with a, a, like a top knot hairstyle, and I see her again, and I look over, and she's kind of rounding a corner, so at this point, I think, well, this isn't good, we shouldn't have any customers in the store, so I go to call my manager, and, you know, call, call her up to my department, and she comes over, and I say, hey, we've got to find this customer, I don't know what they're doing in the store, but we need to, you know, make sure that they get them out and make sure everything's safe. So she's asking me, you know, what does this, this woman look like? And I, I explained to her what she looks like. And my manager, I remember, was a very pale woman already, but she just turned sheet white, just, just all of the blood drummed out of her face. And she's looking at me just in complete shock. And I'm, you know, thinking, oh, my God, what did I do? What's going on? And she says, that sounds like Verna. Um, I don't know anybody named Verna, so I'm asking her, who's, who's Verna? And apparently, Verna was a woman that used to work in another department in the store, downstairs and in the basement of departments there, and she had passed away. I, I don't know when. I wasn't able to get any more information out of my manager at this time. She wouldn't tell me what happened to her. Did this happen in the store? You know, how long ago did this happen? But apparently she was known for wearing a black dress and this top knot and, you know, very tall, thin woman. She she wouldn't say anything else to me about this. She just kind of wandered off and left me alone and in this creepy department all by myself. So I, I finished up my work and went home and uh, didn't think much of it thereafter. But 
yeah, that story reminded me of that, of the, the old Elkhorn Mall. And there's a lot of people that work there that have a lot of interesting stories about just seeing strange stuff in this old mall there, which is, is no longer there. So, yeah, that's my story. Thank you so much for listening, and uh, thank you so much for the show. Great job. I, I'm really enjoying it. <laughs> Bye-bye. Thank you, Tanya. Typical last-minute shopper. Now, of course, the connection here is that this isn't the first entry we've received from this mall in Tucson. Visit Season 2, Episode 15 to hear the previous. And, of course, even Tanya mentioned that many workers in the now-defunct mall have also reported odd happenings. So that got me wondering, why was there so much activity in a mall opened in 1960? Then I uncovered a bit of information that just might have led to some answers. The original blueprints to the mall were to have it constructed literally around the El Conquistador Hotel. But those plans were scrapped at the last minute, and instead the beautiful El Conquistador was demolished to make way for the mall's expansion. So in short, from 1928 until 1968... There stood a 70-plus room hotel on the site the Elkhorn Mall was eventually built on. The name Elkhorn is even derived from the original hotel name, El Conquistador. Now this is where things get a little fuzzy. I couldn't find any resource on the hotel during its operation that would suggest it's responsible for any of these hauntings. No deaths, no drownings, no murders, no fires. Nothing. So either this hotel ran a squeaky clean operation for 40 years, or the information is deeper than I had time to dig. But given the amount of activity at any given hotel, it wouldn't surprise me in the slightest to hear that a death or two took place in those four decades. So maybe that sheds at least a little light on this location, Tanya. Perhaps someone more local has access to some older files and can dig some stories up for us. In the meantime, thanks again, Tanya, for sharing. And before I duck out of here, two quick things. If you're listening to this on the day of its release, December 23rd, 2021, Tonight at 9 Eastern, 6 Pacific, on YouTube and Facebook, we're hosting the live Monsters Among Us holiday special. Now there's guests, there's prizes, there's awards, and the world premiere of our Shadows in the Desert, High Strangeness in the Brago Triangle documentary trailer. So hopefully I'll see you there tonight. And lastly, you guys have been so great to us this year. In times when money, patience, and compassion wear thin, when many are scraping by, you still find ways to support the show. Be it on Patreon, a t-shirt, sharing the show, writing a review, or simply just tuning in. We see you out there, and we certainly appreciate the gesture. And as a return on your investment, we will continue to make next year's show even better than the last. So from all of us here at Monsters Among Us, Sarah, Addie, Warren, Tony, Sarah, John, my assistant Annabelle, and of course, myself, thank you. 
Merry Christmas, Happy Holidays, and keep it spooky out there. And that's going to do it for this episode. Monsters Among Us was written and produced by me, Derek Hayes. Additional support is provided by Sarah Carter Hayes and Addie Lloyd. All audio used in this production is done so under the protection of fair use. And keep the party rolling by following us on social media. We have pages at Facebook, Instagram, and Twitter. And don't forget about that exclusive Facebook group. Now, if you have it in your heart, you want to give me a little something this year for Christmas, please leave me a rate and review wherever you can do so. Any little birdie told me Spotify now allows you to rate and review directly from the app. And lastly, tonight's music was provided by Co.ag Music, Iron Cthulhu Apocalypse, Mayu, and Carl Casey at White Bat Audio. Thank you so much for listening. Happy holidays, and until next week. Tonight's bonus entry isn't holiday-themed per se, but it does take place in a location known for extreme cold. Please welcome Ellie from Alaska. Hi Derek, this is Ellie. I'm from Alaska. And this isn't something that happened to me specifically, but this is something that happened to about five or six people that I knew at the time. One was my sister and her boyfriend, and then another lifelong Alaskan raised friend of ours, and then some out-of-staters. My sister and her boyfriend, they bought some property out in kind of in a remote area of Alaska, outside of Glen Allen, and they built a cabin out there. They're kind of punk rock, if that makes any sense. They, them and their friends are kind of like, whatever, you know, we go in the woods, we do whatever we want, nothing scares us, sort of, people. And I've always felt that way out here, too. I mean, if you're raised out here, I mean, a lot of people that come to Alaska, they might feel like predators are around the corner and we're really worried about being attacked by things. But most predators, they don't, they don't really get near you. I mean... The worst thing you have to worry about is moose, and they're not a predator, but they will stomp you, and they're a pretty dangerous creature, especially when they have calves. So they were exploring the back area of the property, which my sister and her boyfriend already knew had quite a few piles of skulls. And we all thought that was kind of weird because they'd find these piles of skulls. So like lynx, fox, coyote different skulls like that and they'd be in a pile which first I thought like a trapper but that's not really a trapper's thing to do if a trapper's going to leave a carcass they're, they're going to leave the whole thing not just skulls in a pile especially piling them up that's very strange so 
they had taken one of the skulls, which is a coyote skull, they put it on the door of their cabin. But that just was just like kind of a ha-ha phenomenon behind their property. So my sister, her boyfriend, and their friends, one lifelong Alaskan and several other people went hiking behind the woods one day, drink a beer, just, you know, farting around, doing whatever. And on their way back, when they kind of turned around on my back, they started getting turned around a little bit. And they also noticed they were being kind of tailed by some kind of creature. And they all described it in sort of the same way, as something black, slick, and fast, where it went behind, it kind of moved behind trees, and it moved really quick, and then it would stop. And it wasn't because we were all familiar with Alaska, or most, most of them were familiar with Alaska. It definitely wasn't a wolverine, and they're super, they don't want to be anywhere near a group of people. It wasn't a river otter. There was no rivers around, and it didn't look like a river otter. My sister described it as looking more like Santa's little helper from uh, The Simpsons. So that kind of shape, that like arched back slick shape, but it was black. And it just kind of like followed them, trailed them, and like darted behind things really quickly. And they kind of got a little bit disoriented, but they finally got back. And anyway, that was the story they told me, but it was always these like piles of skulls back there. So my sister's boyfriend, he, I don't know, there was a lot of bad luck that followed after that, up, you know, from having that place. Years later, he offered me the coyote skull from the door and told me it was cursed and I wouldn't take it, which, I don't know, that's kind of weird because <laughs> I'll take any skull. I have a big skull collection in Alaska here. We all hunt. We all, we're all in the outdoors. I have a big skull collection, but I would not take this coyote skull because of that place. However, um, yeah, I did talk to a native friend of mine who's a native Alaskan friend whose family grew up in the villages up here, and they all kind of believe in, like, the Alaska cryptids. They they really believe in them. So he he told me at one point his grandma had been walking along the dock in in Alaska at one point, and she saw a seal, and the seal had a human face, and that's supposed to be a bad omen, like a death or something like that. And so she knew immediately it was a bad omen, and then she got diagnosed with breast cancer. She did survive it, but at the same time, it was like immediately after that, she got diagnosed with breast cancer, and like, oh, yeah, I mean, this this creature told us that. Then I asked him about the situation, and he said, yeah, it was either an adlet, which is a werewolf offspring with an Inuit woman and a dog, or a, a keylet. And I'm only saying what they are because I looked them up. An adlet is supposed to be a werewolf that's an offspring of an Inuit woman and a dog. Akila is supposed to be a hairless dog with hair on its feet. And he says, yeah, those are, you know, people believe in those. They could be around and blah, blah, blah. I can't remember what else he said. This is years ago now. Anyway, they're not supposed to be very good omens, supposedly, to have them around. So my sister's boyfriend at the time, he ended up having a girlfriend after my sister that killed herself in that house. And um, my sister ended up being a drug addict for a long time, and she passed away around three years ago, and there hasn't been anything good that came out of that, those people since then. It seems like a lot of just kind of crappy situations, which might be sort of their own doing, and it might not. But anyway, I, I just thought it was interesting that all the people that were there that I knew gave me sort of the same depiction of that scenario. I don't know, I just, I always feel weird if I drive past that area and ever since then I've kind of like kept my eyes out for for that sort of thing thank you for your consideration on this call and I love your show bye bye thanks Ellie 
there are many ominous details in this story. So many, I'm not sure I could pick out the creepiest. The pile of skulls is certainly spooky. And the seemingly cursed area is also terrifying. And I should also point out, it's not the first time we've dealt with a cursed coyote skull. But I must say, learning that there's a new type of werewolf slash dogman out there, that's probably the most intriguing detail to me. And since I'd never heard of the legend, I'm sharing the little deep dive I did, courtesy of Origins Explained, over on YouTube. The Adlet are what you might call the Alaskan version of a werewolf, but with a few differences. The Inuit people describe the Adlet as a being that has the lower half of a dog but the upper half of a human, which is different than a werewolf which is often described as a human-sized and figured wolf. What's more, the legends say that these creatures were born via an unholy union between a woman and a dog. The first woman who did this act had ten children, and only five of them were Adlets. The other five were regular dogs. Her family cast her out, and her grandfather actually killed the woman's dog husband, which led her to letting her children onto the mainland so that they could run free without fear of being attacked by her family. This in turn led to the creation of more Adlets. The Adlets are said to be very aggressive toward humans and will attack if they see them, likely in some sort of revenge for what happened to their ancestor. And since I'd never heard of the Kilat, or the Kikirn, as it's also called, here's that deep dive, courtesy of Skriller on YouTube. In Inuit mythology, the Kilut is described as an evil earth spirit of the underworld that takes the form of a black, hairless dog with only hair on its feet allowing it to stalk its prey without warning of its presence. It is said that the Kilut tends to run away if confronted by loud noises. It is a master hunter and often its victims do not realize it is near them until it's too late. Now Alaska is full of rarely mentioned cryptids. So if you're curious, hit up both of these links in the show notes. There's plenty more where these came from. Now thanks again, Ellie. I'm sorry to hear of the bad luck and tragedy, but we thank you for sharing your story with us. And a big thanks to you for sticking around to the end of the program. Again, happy holiday to you and yours. And have yourself a good night.